We want you to open your Bibles today to the book of Colossians. You know, I was in, in prayer for this service and in prayer for the church. Actually, you know what? Not as much prayer for this service, more precious prayer for the church. And I was reminded about how often the scripture talks about seasons of shaking, seasons of uh, where things are not certain, seasons of, of times where everything around us is shaken. And it speaks of the people of God being different speaks of the people of God being grounded in something that's not temporary, but something that's eternal. A few weeks ago, we read from 1 John, uh, probably, I should say more than a few weeks ago, probably a couple months ago, we read from 1 John, where he says that, he says, don't fall in love with the world. Don't give your heart to the world or the things in the world, because the things of this world are passing away, and everything connected to them is passing away. And the person that falls in love with the world or the things of the world does not have the love of the Father in him. He goes on and he says, because of the fact that the world is passing away, you fall in love with the things of the world, then then you're falling in love with something temporary. It's not worth your time. It's not worth your love. It's not worth your heart. But he says, the one who does the will of the Lord lives forever. In one translation, it says this, never give your heart to the world or the things of the world. Because the things of the world are passing away. But then it goes on and it says this, but the one who does God's will is part of the permanent and cannot die. And that phrase, part of the permanent, has stuck with me for for all that time. Just, Just thinking of being part of something more permanent and more lasting and more sure than what the world has. In a time where everything is uncertain, and if, if, if you're a CNN junkie, if you're a Fox News junkie, an MSNBC junkie, just save me the trouble of going through all of the news organizations. If you're a news junkie, you, you begin to believe that uh, the world is crumbling fast and we should all buy survival gear and hunker down. The truth is, it's a mess. Truth is, the scripture tells us to be prepared for that stuff in the last days, in the end times. It says that stuff's going to be happening. That stuff is going to be happening all around you. But the scripture is also full of encouragement for the church that you're not part of that. You need to be attached to something far more permanent than all this stuff that's temporary. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, warn those guys that are rich in your church not to put their hope in the uncertainty of riches. Have you ever noticed how uncertain, just how uncertain everything that the world puts all their trust in, puts all their hope in, how fleeting and how quickly can all go away? And if you've noticed even the Canadian dollar or the U.S. dollar, you've noticed the stocks and, and everything that's involved with the, the markets today, it's, it's volatile. It goes up, it goes down. Somebody says, well, what about gold? What about silver? Well, I'm sure that's all well and good. But none of those things is certain. All of those things pass away. But it says, don't put your hope in the uncertainty of riches, but in God, who richly supplies all things for us to enjoy. The difference is if you just trust in what you've got, you trust in what you're chasing, that stuff is temporary, that stuff is volatile, that stuff does not have any guarantee attached to it. But God is eternal. The cool thing about this is that God is not surprised by a thing that happens. He's not caught off guard by anything. He's already been to the future. He's there right now. He's, I mean, he is eternal. He lives outside of time. So right now, if you can get your mind around it, God is in the past, he's in the present, and he's in the future all at the same time. He's not 
confused. He's not surprised. He's not waiting to see what you're going to do. You do have free will. You have choices that he's given you, but he's not surprised by your choices. He's not surprised by what's happening in the world. He's already seen it. And and you know what? Thank God, according to him, it all turns out good for those that trust in the Lord. Not for everybody, but for those that trust in the Lord. In a time of shaking, and, and guys, it's been a time of shaking for a while, and I'm sure things will be shaken even more. But the scripture says in the book of Hebrews that we, we have received an unshakable kingdom, a kingdom that can't be shaken. He says our response to the kingdom that can't be shaken is we're to worship God with fear and reverence. So let's, let's just take that for a minute and think about what he's asking us to do, to consider the fact that we're not part of the kingdom of Canada. I know Canada has rarely ever been called a kingdom, but it is not our home nation. It's a cool nation. I love it. God put us here. We're ambassadors to Canada, but we are first and foremost citizens of heaven. Heaven's economy is not affected. Heaven's government is not shaky. Heaven's foreign, uh, you know, foreign diplomats, heaven's heaven's armies, heaven's uh, security is not shaken by anything that's happening in the world. It's not shaken when some guy in the Middle East shakes his fist and says, I'm going to destroy you. It's not shaken when some guy on Wall Street rips everybody off. It's not shaken when a politician gets into power that we think is just going to destroy the world. If you ever look back in the Bible and you look in church history, There is nobody running for office right now that is as bad as some of the guys that were in power when this book was written. You notice that the church in in the New Testament has nice little rulers like Nero, just really friendly guys. You wonder what party he'd be running with in Canada. Well, you all have your opinions, don't you? The truth is he would be unelectable unelectable. And yet somehow this whole New Testament is not, what are we going to do to get Nero out? In fact, nobody seems to be trying to do that at all. What's the focus? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Seek the kingdom. Let the world have their kingdom. We seek the kingdom of God. Does that mean you check out of politics? No, we got an election coming up. We need to pray. We need to let our voice be heard, and we need to vote. But whatever the result of the election, that does not determine the result of the kingdom of God. We're not shaken by that. We're not shaken. If the Bloc Quebecois came into power, we're not shaken by that. That'd be funny, though, wouldn't it? How do we separate from a country we don't want? We're ruling now. That wasn't supposed to happen. I tease Brother David, who was here last week, every now and then. I, I, I honor him and respect him greatly, so I don't tease him often. But every now and then, I let slip that his riding is the one riding in Canada that voted in the Green Party. <laughs> it's just fun to rib him every now and then. Colossians chapter 2. Let's get in the Word before we get too far off track. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, 
and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. There's a lot of talk about the mysteries of God, isn't there? Everybody wants to know one more mystery. Everyone wants to know one more thing that nobody else knows. But here he says, here's the greatest mystery, Christ himself. You have to understand that there's two groups that are being addressed, two groups that are troubling the church in Colossae. One group is a group of Gnostics. They're um, claiming to have a secret knowledge, something that you, if you get, get in our club, if you follow us for a while, if you listen to our teaching, Sure, all that Bible stuff is good. Sure, all that teaching is good. But we have a deeper understanding. We have some mysteries. We have things no one else knows. And anytime someone starts talking like that, you need to just, you know, put up your guards. Because most of the time, what you're about to hear is not drawing you anywhere near closer to Jesus. But it's usually trying to draw you closer to the person that's telling you. You know, people gathering disciples unto themselves rather than gathering disciples to Christ. So here, he says, oh, what I'm praying for you is that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge, the true knowledge, not some fake, not some made up, not some falsely bloated knowledge, but the true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I love this. Because what he's saying here is that everybody's looking for treasures. Everybody's looking for this extra little bit of wisdom here. This extra little bit of knowledge here. And everybody's searching. And they're, and they're willing to follow some wackos to get to it. But he says, if you really want to know where all the treasures are hidden, you really want to know a secret that no one else knows, it's all in Christ. Everything you need to know is in him. There is no book. There's no teacher. There's no YouTube video. There's no satellite channel that can teach you something that can expand your knowledge without you having a relationship with Christ himself. And if something is saying, come here, we'll teach you some things. Come here, you'll know something no one else knows. Come here, we'll give you some mysteries. We'll give you some secrets. Let me tell you, if it doesn't draw you closer to Jesus, it's not worth going after. Because everything, all the mysteries, all the treasures of hidden knowledge are found in him. It says in verse 4, I say this. Why do I tell you this? So that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. You know that there are better preachers and better talkers and better arguers and better better debaters than me, than anyone else in the room. There's people out there that that can win an argument, but it doesn't mean they're right. Winning an argument doesn't make you right. Learn that the hard way. I got married. (laughs) Right? That was a good lesson. No, you guys are like saying that's bad. It's good. Because somebody somebody very wise said to me, Jonathan, you can out talk her. It doesn't make you right. You're a preacher. That's what you do. doesn't make you right. Oh, man. Persuasive arguments don't, don't necessarily mean truth. You know, if you're not grounded in the Word of God, if you're not grounded in a relationship with Christ, if you're not grounded and rooted in His love, 
A persuasive argument is all it's going to take to get you off track. It's two types of storms and, and, and things getting us off track, two types of winds that we're going to talk about today. One of them being the, the winds and the waves of circumstance, the storms of circumstance, the storm of trouble in your life. And the other being the wind and wave of, of really distractions, of arguments and, and, and things and books and whatever that will get you thinking about something other than Jesus. Now, I'm not against you reading a book of, about any, any topic. I'm not against us reading tons of books. But if that, if that book becomes our Holy Spirit, if that book becomes our source, if that book becomes bigger than that, the Word of God, then it's got a wrong place in our life. I've said this before, and, and I hope it doesn't sound arrogant to say it, but, you know, we can usually tell when someone watches more Christian TV than they do reading their Bible. And I call out Christian TV because I'm, I'm saying, you know, you can tell what, how somebody talks, whether they're reading more Christian books and watching more Christian TV than reading their own Bible, because you become conformed to whoever's teaching you. And there's nothing wrong with Christian TV. There's nothing wrong with those Christian books. I, I, I'm saying get it. That's wonderful to have access to some great wisdom, to access to great teaching. But if that's, more, if that's bigger to you, if that's more your teacher than the Holy Spirit and this Word of God, then it's out of order. And what it'll do is it'll get you off track. So what does he say? He says, if you're looking for truth, if you're looking for mysteries, if you're looking for some hidden wisdom, I'll tell you where to find it. Find it in Christ. Yes. It's not found in some guru it's not found in some special preacher, not found in some, you know, in their days, some special rabbi or some special guy that comes along and says, I know something you don't know. It's found in Christ. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Now, that's not something we normally see celebrated in the church, right? I mean, we celebrate big things. We celebrate when somebody comes back from a trip and, and hundreds have come to Jesus. That's what I love that. I love to see blind eyes open and lame people walk. I love to hear the stories of what God is doing all over the world. But you know, he's also rejoicing, not just in the outer fruit, not just in the, in the flash and bang of it all, but he's rejoicing in stability. He's rejoicing in discipline. Now, these aren't words that sell a lot of books. These aren't words that really you can... Uh, brag about to a bunch of other people. You know, we had such a great service the other day. Really, what happened? Lots of stability, lots of discipline. Oh, man, that's, that's great. Oh, I met this guy the other day. What a mighty man of God. Really, really, what's, what's going on with this guy? I'll tell you, I've never seen such stability. I've never seen such discipline. Oh, wow, well, okay, cool. Right, that's neat, yay. It's not as exciting sometimes. But we know, and, you, and we've talked about this before, but you can't expect a tree to grow up until it's grown down. Because if you're growing up and you don't have roots, the bigger you get, the worse it's going to be when a storm comes. The harder it is for you to stay nourished because your roots aren't big enough, your roots don't go deep enough to tap into that water and those nutrients. And the harder it is to stay rooted when the storms and the winds come, and we see, you know, it's, it's not hard to see a big tree fall and fall fast. Yeah. Verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. It's one thing to receive it. It's another thing to walk in it, isn't it? 
as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up. Do you see the order? First you're rooted, then you're built up. Everybody wants to be built up right away. I want, I want to be built up. I want people to see how big I am, how big my ministry is, how big my, my prayer life is. And all of that is nice, but if you're not rooted, it won't last. The other thing is you got to make sure what foundation are you built on. I know I'm mixing metaphors because we're talking about trees and then I'm talking about buildings, but Paul mixed it first, so blame him. Earlier, when he wrote the letter to the Corinthians, of 1 Corinthians 3, he talks about, talks about people that are going to stand before Jesus at the end of all this. And these are believers because we find out they're saved. But they stand before Jesus and they say, look at all I've built. And when they look, nothing's left. He says everything they've built was burned up, was destroyed. And it says, they themselves will be saved as though through fire. So thank God they're going to heaven. But all their work was destroyed. Why? Because they built on a different foundation. Then he goes on to say, he names two things in that chapter. Foundation, what, what is your foundation built on? And here's the foundation he says will last. The foundation of Christ. You build it on Christ, it'll last. Who's he talking about in that chapter? He's not talking about a bunch of people that are treated teaching a false gospel. He's not talking about, about a bunch of people that are in a cult. He's talking about people that are gathering disciples to themselves as opposed to gathering disciples to Jesus, building their own kingdoms rather than building the kingdom of God. He says those things won't last. He talks about a foundation, then he talks about building materials. He says some people build with wood, hay, and stubble. Some build with stones and precious gems. And, and he talks about something that, you know, the cheap materials as opposed to the, the materials that will really last. The great thing about cheap materials is you can build something big really fast. The problem with that is, guys, we're entering a season of the church where we're going to have to have, no, I'm not talking about these kind of buildings, but we're going to have to have spiritual foundations. We're going to have to have the things that God is building have to be built with precious materials on a good foundation because we're not going to see those cheap materials. We're not going to see those false foundations. We're not going to see those things last very long. It is a season where the dark, yeah, the dark's getting darker, but the light is getting lighter. It's a season where the storms are getting bigger, but our God's bigger than them all. It's a season where the shaking around us is becoming more pronounced and it will be more and more obvious whether or not you belong to the unshakable kingdom. And what we build, guys, that's not going to be enough to build a ministry that's got a cool website. It's not going to be enough to have a church that's got great praise and worship. It's not going to be enough that you have a life that looks good to a bunch of other people. What are you basing everything on? What are you founded on? What are you rooted in? Because you don't want to be built up until you're built down, until you're rooted down. Having been firmly rooted and now built up in him. And I want to ask that question. I know it's a very simple question. And I know the children's church answer is Jesus. And the children's church answer is right. But ask yourself this. What am I really rooting everything in? What's the basis for most of the decisions I make? Those big life decisions. When we really went to it. What did I base everything on? When I go to sleep at night. What am I 
concentrating on and thinking and meditating on. When I wake up, what wakes me up in the morning? What are the things that when I all, you could take all of this, you could throw this all away, but what do I have left? And if it's Christ, it'll last. If it's anything else, it won't really last that long. He says this, you're being firmly rooted and now being built up in him, established in your faith. That word established doesn't get enough credit, but it's huge. To be established in your faith means you're going to last. It says, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Now, you might say, well, that's not going to happen to me because I hadn't heard any philosophy since I left high school. So don't worry about me. Nobody's taking me captive. Sometimes we think philosophy and we think it's got to be Socrates. There's got to be Nietzsche or somebody like that. Philosophy doesn't mean, doesn't always mean that it's, that, that it's by somebody that we call a philosopher. A philosophy just means a teaching of man. It's just a way of thinking that's not God's way of thinking. It just means it's a system of thinking that sounds persuasive and it makes sense to your brain, but it's not necessarily what God's saying. You could be taken captive by philosophy that doesn't sound like philosophy, but it makes good sense to you, and it'll still be wrong. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men. According to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in Him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Now, this is coming directly against the philosophy that's being taught in this church at this time. Those Gnostics were teaching that uh, Jesus himself, you know, that, that, there, the, that there was a difference between the Jesus flesh and the Jesus spirit, and that, you know, the, the Jesus the spirit didn't necessarily physically die for us or physically rise again. There was a lot of stuff going around that was weird and flaky, but it made sense to some people at some point in time. He says, let me tell you this, all the fullness of God was in Jesus in bodily form. Verse 10, and in him you've been made complete. Now, this translation fails us a little bit because that word complete is the same word that he used earlier when he said all the, it comes from the same word that he said, all the fullness of God dwelled in Christ. It literally reads, all the fullness of God dwelled in Christ in bodily form. And in him, you've been made full. As Jesus walked full of the Spirit, as Jesus walked full of God, he says, in him, you've been made full. And don't let anyone tell you that what you've received in the gospel that got you born again and the message that you stand on, that you are still walking in and that, that, that faith that saved us to begin with, don't let anyone tell you that that's not enough. Don't let anyone tell you, well, you just join my little club and, and you'll go to a deeper place. Let me, let me see here. It says, in him, you've been made full. In him, he's got everything you need. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. 
When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he's taken it out of the way, thank God, and he nailed it to the cross. When he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through them. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. You see the point? So they had different groups talking to them all the time. They had the Gnostics who were telling them this. They had the Judaizers that were coming and saying, well, if you, want, you guys are Gentiles, but if you want to be a Christian, you got to be a better Jew. And he says, stop letting people judge you based on this stuff. All of those rituals and all those traditions, they might be fine, but they are all shadows. Here's where the substance is. It belongs to Christ. Don't let someone trick you out of that. Don't let someone take you out of that. In verse 18, he says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. No one keep defrauding you of your prize. By delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he's seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. How many of you here believe in dreams and visions from God? My hand's up. I believe in it very strongly. Very strongly. It's part of our reality in Christ. It's part of the Spirit of God. It's all through the Bible. But not everybody that says they had a vision had a vision from God. Not everybody who said they had a dream had a dream from God. Not everybody that says they got a word has a word from God. He's talking about people are taking their stand on things they've seen, and they're making that the big thing. He says they're inflated without cause by their fleshly mind. Here's their problem. They are not holding fast to the head. Brother David read this last week, not folding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with the growth which is from God. Ultimately, that's the point. Anybody that's taking you off your track, anybody that's shaking you off your foundation, most of the time if you examine it, those philosophies, even if they sound nice and all well and good, they're heavy They're heavy on traditions of this. They're heavy on this and that, but they're very light on Jesus. I know a lot of people that know a lot of things. I know people that that can talk talk you out the door, make you feel like an idiot. But you know what? If that revelation is not based in Christ, if it's not fulfilled in Christ, if it's not, if it's not centered in Christ, it's taking you off your foundation. A few Wednesdays ago, by the way, I'm not picking on anything here. You know, I, I, I just need you to know this. Roy and I had a great conversation. Hey, Roy. A few Wednesdays ago, I talked about, uh, I talked about, you know, the, from the scripture where Paul says to Timothy, he talks about all of these uh, uh, genealogies and these speculations and foolish arguments and things that people were getting into. And he says, if it doesn't further the economy of God, if it doesn't further the administration of God, which is by faith, it's wasting our time. 
Our goal is instruction. He says our goal is, is an instruction that leads to a sincere faith and a love which is from God. And so ultimately, we talked about on that Wednesday night, if, if what we're hearing and what we're reading is not bringing us closer to Jesus, if it's not furthering the kingdom of God, if it's not inspiring faith and love in us, it's a waste of our time. So Brother Roy asked a great question. He said, what were you talking about? It's a good question. And I told him what I'll tell you. I never get up and preach passively aggressively against something I just heard somebody say. If I got an issue with what you said, I will come to you and talk to you about it, okay? So sometimes when we talk about these things, people are sitting in the audience going, what's he actually talking about, though? What's the preacher you're talking about? Not talking about anybody. We're reading the Word of God. And this applies to such a wide breadth of things. Here's the point. We want to be a church. We want to be a group of people that are so grounded in the Spirit of God, grounded in the Word of God, that we're able to grow without growing out of our roots, without falling off the track, without being shaken when all this shaking is going on around you. You got to be rooted in something. In Ephesians 4, I'll just read this just to hammer in that point if it hadn't been hammered in already. Ephesians 4.14, actually, you know what? Oh, yeah, let's start at 14. Ephesians 4.14 says, as a result, we are no longer to be children. How many of you still consider yourself a baby in Christ? It's okay. Anybody here say, I'm still a kid? I'm still, all right, cool. No. It's not wrong to be a baby in Christ, right? We don't go in the nursery and yell at the kids. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you doing math? You know, I mean, why aren't you up here with the adults? What's wrong with you? Why are you still wearing diapers? I mean, they're kids. Nothing wrong with being a baby in Christ if you're a new believer. But you can't stay a baby in Christ, can you? You can't stay a baby. You got to grow up at some point. (laughs) As a result, it's not creepy when a one-year-old wears a diaper. Creepy when an able body, nothing wrong with them, no, no incompetence, no disability, just wears a diaper just because they're lazy. That's, that's weird. I have a story that I'm not going to tell you. Okay, as a result, I looked at my wife once and I knew I shouldn't tell that story. And it didn't involve either one of us, so don't worry. As a result... We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Look at that. He says, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by every wave and every wind of doctrine. Thank God for good books. Thank God for good teaching. Thank God for new revelation. But if you change your obsession, if you are carried around every time there a new book comes out, every time a new teaching comes out, you're on that track and you go crazy for that and you tell everybody you need to buy this book and then you go and you're tossed here and there every time there's something new comes out, that's you. You're not rooted in anything. And you'll be tossed around by the storms and you'll be tossed around by the winds and the waves and you're really acting like a child. In verse 15, he says, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects 
into him who is the head, even Christ. Once again, if what you're growing into is not Christ himself, you're not growing in the right direction. And if I'm growing up into Christ, here's the reality if you read this whole chapter. If I'm growing up into Christ, I'm also learning how to grow and be connected to the people around me that God placed around me. If what I'm claiming to learn and what I'm claiming to believe is further isolating me from other believers, it's a problem. And it's not of God. These are storms that we all face and these are things that you might not have thought of as storms. When we think of storms, we think of bad stuff happening. But really, in the Scripture, there's a lot of winds and waves that carry you off of your track. In Galatians, he says, you know, who got you off track? Who, who did you let steal the, the area you were going into? Who, let, who, who has, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? They had a group of people telling them, you, have, you guys are doing all right, but you have to do what we're doing. You have to follow our traditions. You have to do our rituals, and then you'll be deeper. You'll be, you'll be more spiritual. That's not of God. What did Jesus say in, in Matthew, though? He talked about us as believers. Now, we talked about the, the storm of, of deception and the, and the winds and waves of doctrine, but let's just talk about circumstance for a minute. Because if you're really built and founded on, on the Word of God, there is nothing in the Word of God that says if you're founded in Him, there'll be no storms. There's nothing in the Word of God that says if you're rooted in Him and you're, you're, you're based on Him, you'll have no trouble. There's nothing in the Word of God that says anything like that. In fact, it says the opposite. In fact, Jesus said the opposite. There's going to be stuff coming. It's not going to be nice. But here's what He said about you. You'll survive it. Not only will you survive it, you will remain unshaken. In Matthew chapter 7, you know this well. The kids know this well. Matthew 7, 24. Are we grounded? Are we rooted in the permanent? Are we rooted in temporary things? Whether it be the temporary things of the world or whether it be the temporary teachings and the temporary fads and the temporary trends. What are you grounded in? What are you really rooted in? What is your foundation built on? Matthew 7, 24 says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. When I used to read this as a kid, I just thought there's two groups of people. There's Christians and non-Christians. The Christians build their house on the rock. And those, those unbelievers that I went to school with, their house was going to fall down. <laughs> I was kind of an elitist as a kid. I mean, I needed some humility hammered into me later. I but that's just the way I figured it. I actually don't think the unbelievers are building these houses that we're talking about here. Two groups of people, and, and if you read it in one of the other Gospels, it actually says both of these groups came to him and heard his words. There were three things they did. They came to him, 
They heard his word and they acted on it. The other group came to him, heard his words, and didn't do anything about it. So two groups of people, and there's three things they need to do. Come to Jesus, hear his word, act on it. But if you get two out of three right, you're not batting 66 or 67. If you get two out of three right, that's not enough. Because what happens is you build your house, but it's not on a proper foundation. One thing about both of these guys, they got tons of things in common. They both listen to Jesus. They probably both like him. They think he's a great preacher. Don't you think those crowds that came to Jesus thought he was a good preacher, thought he was a good teacher, thought he was a man of God? If they didn't do what he said, if they didn't really base what their life decisions were, didn't base what they were going to do the next day based on what he had just said, they're just building their house on something that's not going to last. Jesus says both of these guys got the same storm. And and guys, I'm, I'm telling you, we're living in a day and age where there are storms, whether it be physical storms or whether it be metaphorically storms. There's going to be storms all around us that hit, hit all of us at the same time. I know there's stuff that hits you individually. I know there's stuff that you're dealing with right now that your neighbor's not dealing with. But there's going to be times, guys, we're living in the days where stuff happens in our nation and it happens to us all. And you don't avoid it. And you can't escape it. But will you be standing when it ends? When the dust clears and the wind stops and the rain ceases, what's left? I know that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Do you love in Psalm 91 how he talked about a thousand falling at his side and ten thousand at his right hand, but it not hitting him? Do you notice that David is not implying that he was in a vacation at a beach house while all this was happening? Where is David while this is happening? He's close enough to feel the wind of the arrows by his face. He's close enough to see his buddies fall right next to him. He's not away from the battle. He's right in it. But he sings about the shadow of the Almighty. He sings about God's ability to be bigger than all this other stuff. David wasn't just a poet who had a good idea for a song. David was a warrior who probably lived in a very similar scenario. When Jesus writes about these storms hitting both houses at the same time, I'm struck with the thought that these houses probably look identical. Do you know what I mean? They probably look identical. The houses themselves probably look the same. You can build your life to look like a Christian. We can all look the same. We can all listen to the Christian satellite music radio station. You know the latest Casting Crown songs. And you go to church just like everybody else does. But will your house remain? Will your work remain? And that's the question, isn't it? That's all going to be tested. 1 Corinthians 3, these people are still going to heaven, thank God. But all their work's burned up. You know, it's not going to be a fun day. It'll be a good day, thank God. I'm sure these people are still really happy they're not going to hell. I'm sure they're real happy that Jesus saved them. I'm sure it's still a day for celebration, but there is a bit of regret when they see that all they built their life on, the whole thing they they spent their time working on is gone. 
Because the scripture talks about rewards, talks about crowns, talks about responsibility in heaven. And, and you know, who's going to get that but the one whose work remained? And this guy, he's got a house. His neighbor's got a house. They look the same. In fact, the neighbor's house probably is bigger. But the guy who built his house on the rock, who went and did what Jesus said to do, has attached himself to something permanent. What do you think the rock is? It's Christ himself. The foundation is him. He's the foundation. Guys, if you want to know whether, what your, whether your business is going to last, I can't tell you whether business is going to last, but I can tell you if you base what you're doing on Jesus, if you base it on Christ, it's going to survive things that you didn't think it could survive. If your family is built on the rock of Jesus Christ, if your marriage is built on the rock, if your ministry is founded in what God called you to do, and it's not founded on competition, and it's not founded on you building a kingdom, and it's not founded on you bringing disciples to yourself, and it's not founded on some fancy new mystery you learned. It's founded on Christ. It'll last. Come on now. Come on now. You guys are mature enough today. Amen. You're mature enough. Most of you here are mature enough to know this. That every other week, somebody's going to come to you with a new thing. A new trend. A new fad. Something else. And you know what? It might be all well and good. You don't have to attack it. You don't have to look it up on the internet to find all the things wrong with it. But if it doesn't lead you back to Christ, if it's not founded in Him, if it doesn't bring you into a place where your faith and your love are being increased in Him, don't waste your time on it. Don't let anyone take you captive by empty deception. Defraud you of your prize. Do you hear what he's saying? You could lose the prize you're chasing Simply because you allowed yourself to be distracted by stuff that doesn't matter. Every other month, every other week, somebody comes along. Have you heard this? Have you read this book? Have you heard this teaching? Have you done this? Have you done that? Yeah, sometimes I have. Sometimes I haven't. What are you going to do about it? Do you believe it? Do you not believe it? You're going to write a blog about it? You're going to preach a sermon about it? Most of the time, not all the time, because some of those things are really, really great. Most of the time, it's, you know what? It's just a distraction. It's not something that draws me anywhere closer to God. It doesn't, bring, it doesn't expand the kingdom of God. It's just one more thing. And he talks about the futility of your mind. I'll be honest with you. Some guy could come along, get up behind this pulpit, and tell you all a bunch of things you didn't know. And you go, ooh, and you go, ah. But if it's just tickling your brain and it's not building up your spirit, it's wasting your time. If it, just makes, if it just makes me feel like I knew something I didn't know before, you're wasting your time. Is it edifying you? Is it building you up? Is it drawing you closer to Jesus? Is it encouraging you in the faith? Is it causing you to go out and do the work of Jesus Christ? Or is it just so you could sit on your couch and know one more thing you didn't know yesterday? If so, what good is that? So you can have a, a good uh, dinner party conversation and, 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 and know one more thing that someone else didn't know. Here's what the scripture says. Here's what the scripture says. It says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Let me ask you, what happens when something's puffed up? It pops. It deflates eventually, Right? When something is built up, when something's puffed up, hey, I mean, we talked about this. I know I, I, I'm going to recycle something I said a few weeks ago. 
Those nice little bouncy houses, remember we talked about this a few weeks ago, those nice bouncy houses, you don't go and live in one of those houses. You don't go say, honey, I found our dream home. It's pink and purple just like you like. It's got a slide. We don't even have to go out the front door. We can slide out the front door. Why don't you live in that house? What if there was a giant version of that house? Would you live in it? Just be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I understand the temptation. But you know what eventually happened, right? As nice as it is, eventually, the weather does not agree with your house. Circumstances do not agree with your house. What happens? You don't have a house anymore. And it goes up fast and it goes up quick and it looks wonderful, but you don't have a house. Knowledge, just knowing an extra little bit about something that no one else knows, that'll build you a nice bouncy house. I'll tell you what will build you, a, a castle that will remain, a structure that will stand in the test of time, stand the test of the storm, stand the test of fire, is a house that's built on the foundation of Christ, grounded in His Word, rooted in love. As it says in 1 Corinthians, I pray that you be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So many times we think steadfast and movable, we think of somebody that's not going anywhere, Right? Steadfast, immovable. It sounds like somebody doesn't make any progress, but I'll tell you, that's somebody that is making progress. Here's what steadfast looks like in Jesus. Steadfast is an upward call. It's always moving up. It's always moving forward. It's not a roller coaster. It's moving up. Steadfast, immovable, and then what? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. So when I'm saying immovable, I'm not saying you're not moving anywhere. I'm not saying you're not progressing. I'm saying you're not shaking off your track. There's a difference between a train going further down the track and a train going off the track, isn't there? How many of you think that we're living in an age of storms? You think we're living in an age of shaking? But I want you to know something right now. You serve a kingdom that can't be shaken. Don't let fear enter your house. Don't let terror come near your house. Don't you start panicking every time the stock market flips. Don't you start panicking every time a new terrorist comes and shakes his fist at God. Don't you start panicking when the election doesn't go the right way. We serve a kingdom which cannot be shaken. You take heart because he's overcome the world. You have, be of good cheer for your redemption draws near. You be of good cheer because the night is almost gone. The day is at hand. Let's lay aside the deeds of darkness and let's pick up the armor of light. Stop panicking every time somebody comes along and tries to freak you out with some new thing that's happening. Stop panicking every time somebody tells you of one more thing that's eventually going to happen. Start trusting in the Lord, our sure foundation, our solid rock, our cornerstone that can't be shaken. And pray. God warns us not so we freak out, but so we pray. Do I believe in signs? Yes. Do I believe in warnings? Yes. What do we do with it? Keep going forward. Pray. Don't let something shake you. Stop retreating into the bunker. Stop going into your nuclear hideout, freaking out about what some guy's going to do. Nobody can defraud you of your prize unless they let you let them. Right? Next time some hot shot comes and says, I saw this vision, I saw that vision, I saw this dream, I saw that dream, you better make sure it's founded in Christ. Because distractions, we don't have time for. Come on now. 
We want to move forward. God's going to give his people visions in these days. God's going to give his young men, his old men dreams and his young men and women visions. God's going to speak to us in this day. It's more important than ever that you know how to discern the good from the evil, the fake from the real. How do you know? Go back to Colossians. Does it, is it based? Is it founded? Is it all wrapped up in Christ? Because if it's not, just bye. See you later. Have fun. That's all well and good. And you can do this. This is what I do. Smile, nod, move on. Right? You know how to smile and nod? You know, just go smile, nod, move on. It's good, it's good that you have that. Go back, pick up your Bible. Amen? Thank God. Let's get up today. Let's stand up together. Praise God.